0: Hello and welcome to Bellhaven Podcast. I'm your host, Brent Weber. On today's episode, you'll be listening to PSY 342, Psychology of the Exceptional Child. I hope you listen and enjoy. Okay, this is class one and this is session four. Um, We've just finished looking at the different uh, legislation and litigation processes and we're now going to walk through the different steps in our referral process. Um, Pre-referral are the interventions that are designed at a school. Um, There's usually a support team at the school made up of uh, administrators and teachers who will work with a general education teacher to help them come up with something they can try um, with a particular child who might be struggling in that classroom. And so they will present the material maybe in a different way, just to help that child those must be done before we can actually refer a child for um, any kind of assessment and this just shows that we've tried everything we we know to try the referral process comes if those interventions were unsuccessful with the child and the child continues to struggle in the classroom with um, whatever it maybe it's math or might be reading and at this point we're going to do a complete assessment of the child's abilities and to see where their strengths are and where their weaknesses are. It involves a lot of folks and it involves a a battery of tests. Um, Assessment is the process of the testing and we usually um, use a multidisciplinary team. Um, We've had instances in the past where one person would do the testing and um there might be an instance where you know the person may have known the family and didn't like the child and um we just have to be very cautious that we're giving the child every uh, possible chance Um, so we bring in people from different disciplines there might be a speech pathologist if there's a speech issue if we have a fine motor skill issue we might need an occupational therapist we've got a larger motor issue, we might need a physical therapist and sometimes we need a medical doctor. So there's a lot of different folks involved in this and there's always a psychologist doing much of the intellectual um, assessment. What we're trying to do is decide if there is in fact um, a disability that's present Um, So we work as a team and we work together, but each one will do roles a lot of times independent. Sometimes there's overlap, but usually we don't always test as a team. We test independently. Um, Whatever area of concern we have must be assessed and you want to make sure that you find the right person to do that. Um, So if you think there's a hearing problem, you're gonna need an audiologist to test the hearing. You can't just kind of blow that off and pretend like that might not be a problem. And this will kind of walk you through the process we're going to start with this dark green box and you'll see your students in the general ed classroom um the te- now this is your traditional low incident i mean no yeah sorry high incidence disability where the teacher actually is recognizing the problem these are not the low incidents that the parents are catching when they're really little um, so the student goes in the classroom the teacher um, recognizes looks like there might be a problem and then there's a review of all the records Um, The team meets and they will decide to do the pre-referral interventions and try different things. They will be documenting um, how effective those interventions are going to be. That usually runs around six weeks or so. Note the um, box that goes up says maybe sometimes those strategies are successful, and child just blends right back in the classroom and they move from there. That's really common with children who have math issues. They may have missed a day or two of school where you covered something really important and they just missed it. Um, However, if the interventions are not um, efficient, You move down and you'll see the yellow boxes and there we have strategies that are ineffective and we now send a request to the parent and they have to um, sign this written request that will give us permission to evaluate their child. If the parents don't give that permission, there's really not much that the school can do and the the child will just be right where they were, um, continuing to struggle. And at this point, the school has the option of having a due process hearing to force the parents to do the assessment. That's not done that much, but it can be done. Um, But we'll assume that parental consent is obtained and at that point we will um, get that request completed and we begin having Um, an assessment battery of tasks. Remember, they have to be non-discriminatory. They're administered by that multidisciplinary team of various professionals that we feel like um, need to assess the child. Note, we get input from the parents. They know their child best, and so there's a lot of interviewing with the parents. There may be some checklists that we would ask the parents to complete to, to see how our child is doing. Um, And then we will move to the next page of this, and you can see that we will get our results in. Now, you have a period of 90 working days to do that series of assessments. And um, so, you know, weekends and holidays don't count. It's 90 actual days that we work. Um, So this will take a while. Our results come back. We've made um, a kind of a ruling as to whether the child is eligible for any kind of services. And this is based on our federal and our state criteria for this idea is is giving us a lot of information here. Note that it is possible as we move up the box there that the child might be found ineligible. Then there is no exceptionality. And at that point, they would stay again in the same classroom setting without special ed. Your options here to leave them there or to look and see if they might be eligible for that 504 ruling, which again for a lot of our ADHD kids that's what we will do. Um, If the parents are unhappy with the fact that the child did not come out with an exceptionality, they can choose to ask for due process and have someone else do some different testing. Um, but if the child does come out with an exceptionality and meets eligibility for one of the disabilities, we have basically, we're saying that the educational needs are not going to be fulfilled in that general ed classroom. And at this point, we're going to set up a committee. All right, this committee will have on it a lot of different folks. One will be someone from that uh, multidisciplinary team. Um, There will be the general education teacher from the classroom that the child is in, um, someone who would be an administrator of the school, and possibly um, the special education teacher at that school. That committee is going to sit down and write the IEP, which is the Individualized Education Program for that child. And We want parent involvement to make sure that they're on the same page as to what we're planning to do with their child. If the parents disagree with the IEP and are unwilling to sign that, then we um, basically are at a halt. And again, due process is another option that we might have to choose at this point. And the parents could call for that or the school could call for that. Um, But if the folks agree on the IEP and they're very comfortable with the goals that are set for the child, we move then next to the step of where are we going to place the child in terms of services. Where does the least restrictions that we can put on that child so that they will succeed? Um, So we may rule that we want them to go to a school for the blind. we may say, okay, we can leave them in our general education classroom. Parents have the right to disagree with that if they they don't like what the school suggested. And the school can disagree if they don't like what the parents say. Sometimes parents will ask for a private school and they want the school to pay for it. Schools almost always disagree with that. Um, either side can move for due process, but until something is resolved, the student stays right where they are. But if everybody agrees and parents sign um, for the least restrictive environment, then we begin services. And we cannot begin services until we have a ruling, we have an IEP, and we have a least restrictive environment. At that point, we start services. Um, Child will begin to receive those services. And what we will see is an annual review. Yearly, the IEP is reviewed and revised if necessary. Um, Generally, that is done kind of at the end of the year, into the school year, and they're kind of setting it up for next year that when the child will come back to school, we kind of know where we're headed with them. Um, And generally, if the child continues in special education, we are gonna do a triennial reevaluation. So every three years, We don't just review the IEP. We do a complete new battery of tests, um, starting over with the multidisciplinary team to make sure that the child still does uh, meet the eligibility requirements for the exceptionality that they have. It is possible to um, outgrow um, a diagnosis and no longer um, be considered, you know, maybe like learning disabled. Uh, But note, we start with the parent procedures all over again. So uh, there's a lot of places where we need our parents to be involved here. And you can see it's a lengthy process um, for us to do the the actual initial testing. All right, so there's pre-referral interventions that we mentioned um, do occur before we initiate that referral. Um, Remember, usually we want to document how those um, interventions are working to make sure that Um, We have data for our assessment team. And if we don't do this and we don't have those pre-referral intervention documentations, that's the first thing the team is gonna ask is that you go do this. So it's better to get this done first. Um, We wanna keep any unnecessary referrals um, from happening. And many of these children really just need a little tweak. Um, Sometimes they just need the material presented in a different way. Um, It also helps us with the children um, who are struggling to get some individualized assistance, just one-on-one, and they don't really need that special ed ruling for that. And just that extra attention um, frequently is enough for some children. Um, This is not a mandated um, idea from IDEA, but it is supported by the 2004 revision, Uh, which is IDEIA, and you can now receive federal funds um, for some of your pre-referral interventions. Most states do recommend this. Some states actually require um, a pre-referral intervention. That's not the case at all, but but at least most of them do recommend that this be done. Um, And one of those types of referrals is called response to intervention or RTI. RTI, is a multi-level model of preventative services. Again, remember what we're doing is trying to go in and take our children and get them on level um, by giving them additional help. Most of the states, remember this is not mandated in all states, it's not even recommended in all states, but most states do use a three-tier model um, of how they would intervene with instructional help. Usually this is a learning disability most of the time there's other things that this really doesn't work well for but you can see that the tiers are listed here tier 1 is um really just kind of what we mostly do it's it's given a good education to our entire school and we're just monitoring by things like test Um, to see how our children are doing, which ones may be kind of becoming at risk of failure. And you can start to see this fairly early on if you give um, an assignment or you give a test and these kids just aren't capable of doing it. And you'll see that most of the children that were passing just fine um, without any help at all. Um, Tier one screening, those tests that we would give are determined in those that are at risk. And so some are going to move into tier two. Um, Those that we have notified are having problems. And this is a small group approach. We put these few children um, who are struggling in a little group when we work a little bit more with them. Note their supplemental instruction, um, kind of along the line of tutoring with just a few children at the same time. Um, And usually about 15% of children would be here. Um, This tends to be usually fairly effective. But there are some children who need to move to tier three. Um, There's only about 5% who would fit here. And this is a more intensive intervention. It's one-on-one. The child has not made progress in that small group approach. Um, And so we're trying to work with them one-on-one to improve their skills. And if we can't do that, and they don't um, improve under tier three, then we move them um, to the assessment procedure.